everybody. This is Jaysa from Soda. Thanks for being with us this week. As you know, Sarah mentioned last time that this was going to be a two-parter. Well, surprise, it turned into three. We had a lot to say on this topic, and we wanted to make these a little bit more shorter for you, a little more palatable, bite-sized pieces. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, So we hope that you enjoy. We're talking more about the Met's new paid internship program, fair labor in the art world, and just all that kinds of good stuff. So we hope you enjoy. Looping back to the intern, the art, the article um, about the paid internships, uh, right. Hyperallergic did comment that the Met has not yet responded to Hyperallergic's inquiry about the rate or frequency that the wages will be paid to the new interns. This is key. I mean, I will say, I, you know, I I see that it's early in this process. This just got announced, and they probably do have some figuring out. But I want to just say here that this is tricky. This is a tricky point because, all right, they've got $5 million to start paying the interns. Obviously, they need to put that in some kind of trust or, you know, some kind of banking term that I don't really know the name of so that it earns interest and that it can keep rolling so that the money will make money on itself, right? So that this doesn't, it's not just $5 million and then, I don't know, however many years down the road, it's done, it's over. Ooh, 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 something also to consider. It could be $5 million over the course of 10 or 20 years. Yes. So. Just a heads up. Right. So this is, this is very key and I will have more on that later. Mm-hmm. Um, another note is that in 2019, remember 2019? Remember how we been... thought 2019 sucked? I do remember that. Yeah. Oh. Oh wow. dear. We had how no naive idea. we were. How naive. Anyways, uh, the board of trustees at the Association of Art Museum Directors, or AAMD, um, which is a body that represents 227 art museum directors in the United States, Canada, and Mexi- Mexico issued a groundbreaking resolution that urged its museums to start paying their interns. However, AAMD's resolution lacked any binding forces, and it left the decision to compensate interns in the hand of museum managers. And acknowledge that college credit is an acceptable form in lieu of wages. You might as well have not said anything. College credit is a great way to pay your interns. Let's pay them an experience. No! You need to like, do both. Like, give them the college credits so that they don't have to take full-time credits on top of your internship. Yes. So they should get credit for doing the internship on top of their studies. Right? So instead of taking four classes plus an internship, the internship counts as a class. Also, pay them. Also pay them. Because what what you've just created there is a system in which interns pay to provide you with free labor. They are paying the college Mm -hmm. to take a class, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. to give you free labor. And that's not okay. Preach it. Preach it on out. I have done that. I I am. That That same. Me too. Internship for the free and also paid for the. I've done that. Yep. Right. Okay. So I thought that I was going to like 
give you all the story just you know very straight and you know unemotionally but that didn't happen so this is where we are so again paying interns is great we are so happy that the Met is going to pay their interns that is something that we are 100% on board with what we are not on board with is that the magical philanthropic fairy isn't going to drop $5 million on every museum and nonprofit. <laughs> Maybe, you know, this, because the Met is one of the most, you know, looked at museum globally, this will start setting a trend. I, I think it has the potential to do this, which is great uh, to set a trend, uh, hope, uh, not a trend, but like set a precedent rather to pay interns. However, you can't count on Adrian Arsht or, you know, people of her means to just pop up to every place that has interns that are unpaid and fix your problem. No, no. And, and the thing is like, this is a, this donation or endowment, whatever it is, which is also very important as to how this money is given to the museum and what it's allocated for is an anomaly in nonprofit arts related giving. I think probably the most common form of giving, this is just off the top of my head. I have absolutely nothing but my own experience to back this up. Just, just a note is probably collection gift of collections. So, you know, somebody be bequeaths their collection of silver spoons to the museum uh, in their will that is that is probably the most common thing like there's not and that that may be due to several cultural factors like those gifts come from the the upper crust of financial society in the united states and so they may not have the social or cultural connection slash understanding of working for free and what it costs to do that they are also typically of an older generation and so they have different values and ideals about what it means to work in the museum industry. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now, but just food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. You make a great point that, you know, most people who give money, they want to see their name on something. They want to see their name on a gallery. They want you to walk up to that Picasso and say, donated by the blah, blah, blah family or the da, da, da foundation. You know? Which is fucking bullshit, by the way, as well. You don't, you should not be giving money to name something. That is not philanthropy. And if that is baked in to United States philanthropy, so much so that it's the only reason that people give, like, get out. We don't want you. Shut up. This is not about you. Yes, but it is really hard to say no. It's it's absolutely hard. And I think we've had that conversation, have, too, with the, yes. with the Sacklers. Like, how oh, do you... Yes. How do you make sure that you are getting, you know, money to fund your mission as a as an arts institution without also policing where that money comes from in a culture that doesn't really prioritize donating to the arts? Like there's I mean, that's there's that whole back and forth. Clearly, there's a lot of issues. There's, there's a lot. Yeah, that goes into this. Yeah, I would say that now is the time now is the time because so many people have been laid off which is tragic but and budgets have been stripped down to their minimum 
but that that because of this because of the pandemic like laying so many people off and like people are running on you know like like nothing right now that like when when things start healing you should have a financial plan in place an equitable financial financial plan in place for when your funding goes back to normal now is the time to revamp and just really transform what museum budgets need to do and they need to do a lot of things but right now we're just going to focus on internships because everything has been taken down to its minimum now is the time to put in your budget how to pay internships and this is this is yeah i just honestly i can't think of a better thing for museums to do in the wake of this you know uh in the wake of this pandemic that has just devastated so many people out of jobs especially in the art world where uh, a lot is non-essential of course and this is the time to really among other equitable budgetary changes is this is the time this is the time and i would like to say that it needs to be a solid budget staple like i said you know even if you you have to make it sustainable um you know obviously i'm like five million dollars seems to me like it would go pretty far but like you need to make sure that it's it's not going to run out, you know, that it's going to replenish itself or you have another way of building in paying the internships. Also, these need to be living wage, not minimum wage, living wage, because a lot of internships pay stipends. And I know that once I had a volunteer position and I worked so many hours, so many hours, uh, this was in one of my college summers. And I was like up at 6 a.m. sometimes, I was working until midnight sometimes, sometimes back to back. And I know that I was putting in 30 hours a week and it was for, yeah, maybe maybe like May, April, May to September. And I put in so much work. And as a 19, 20 year old, I was gonna get paid $1,200. And that seemed like big money at the time. And then finally it was over and I was going to get my stipend at the end of the internship. And it really only came out to like $900 because it was paid all at once. So the taxes got taken out of my check as if, you know, like I was going to get paid that much every time. So I felt very, like, no one disclosed that to me. I mean, you know, that's obvious to me now because I am, like, a person who has had real-world jobs and has dealt with taxes and stuff. But as a 19-year-old, having, you know, been a server and working at a daycare, I really didn't have such big taxes taken out of my, like, little, you know, after-school jobs that I I just, I remember feeling so devastated because that was... $300, which made a huge impact. Also, you got to think that, you know, internships don't come with health care or like other benefits. And and also internships in especially in the art world usually mean that your people are educated. 
they're, you know, maybe in the midst of their education, you know, maybe they've already had some college and they're taking this in the midst of college, after college, or like Sarah and so many others, people are doing these during and after their master's degrees programs, sometimes even doctoral students, right? Um, oh, yes. So yeah, I, I actually educated. interned with a doctoral student. Yes, taking mm-hmm. internships. So you need to pay people a living wage and also pay them for their education level. I also want to point out because, you know, because we are in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis and a health crisis, not just as a nation, but as a global people, something that is really evident right now that the pandemic has made very clear is that many museums have not planned long term. They have generationally prioritized not their people, but their collections. And I agree that as a museum, especially as an encyclopedic museum, which is, I think, like I'm most familiar with that model. Other models include like university museums, which are wrapped up in a whole different kind of financial system that I'm not really well-versed in. Um, So I'm gonna stick to large institutions that are mostly encyclopedic and also have been around since the late 19th, early 20th century. That's kind of my wheelhouse. They have not planned long-term for their people. And that reflects a change that they have not been willing to make over the course of their existence. The collection has been prized over everything. The collection has been prized over the people that do the groundwork of the museum. The collection has been prized over paying the people that do the groundwork, the grunt work of the museum. And to, in the future, budget for paid interns and paying your people through times of economic crisis and making sure that you don't have to wait for a windfall or a, or a philanthropic ferry or um, some grant to come from the federal government means that the museum will continue to thrive. If nothing else, museums should be realizing that as the as the centers of culture in the united states there is a problem with prioritization of the arts in our society in the united states specifically and that museums should be at the forefront of making sure that that changes making sure that our cultural elements are prized across the board and they do that by making sure that their people are prioritized that feeds into everything it feeds into diversity initiatives, inclusion initiatives, making sure that people understand the societal impact of knowledge of history and knowledge of historical collections. Like they need to be building their own importance and not waiting for the philanthropic fairy to do it for them. This is just such bullshit. And it's, and it is such a cop out for them to say right now, we don't have the money. We didn't plan for this. Like, we're not going to get the same amount of money from uh, property taxes, which many museums are set up to get. Like, that is no fucking excuse. Your job is to make yourself important, and you're failing. I also can't believe that we haven't said this yet, but all of this, everything that we're talking about, you know, not paying internships, um, you know, just everything, 
who it affects the most are the people who need to be paid the most. You know, um, as we said, we've said it a lot of times across the podcast, but especially in that unpaid labor in the art world, is that people who come from means, who already have family support, who already have money, are able to take unpaid internships, especially in a place like New York. Like, you know, their parents can pay their... Uh, New York apartment and they can work for free and you know then it just keeps people who are already wealthy having these legs up in the art world you know having these internships these people who can afford to take an unpaid internship they're able to network and get the recommendation letter and you know then you know maybe slide into a job after graduation because of who they knew working for an intern or getting Uh, working for as an intern or, you know, just being able to come back and work there after they graduate at the place of the internship. And so then it keeps wealthy people who have, you know, just, you know, this one type of experience able to build their careers faster. And then they end up being later down the line, the people who are making decisions. And if you offer to pay people and pay them a fair wage, not just like, oh, here's $1,200 for a four-month internship that you are going to spend 30 hours a week working, and by the way, it's in Manhattan. You need to pay them fairly because that is how you push for equality. That is how you get diverse experiences. That is how you support by POC communities in being able to build their career in the arts. And you're actually putting your money where your mouth is because so many museums are talking about, you know, how they're going to, you know, change their policies and on uh, on diversity and inclusion. You know, a lot of that went around in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the protests that have been going on throughout the country and the world. And this is an excellent way to start implementing that from the ground up by supporting people regardless of their economic status, regardless of their age, regardless of their experience, etc. Yeah, this is this is a great way to do that to actually, you know, put into practice what you have pledged on social media. And Jason, to your point that you just made really, really well about this tendency for cultural institutions to lean really heavily on that generational wealth, that is a mistake. That that wealth is dying off, literally dying. And while you may have the ancestors of that wealth come through and they might have an interest in working at museums, not all of them will have those values. And the wealth in this country is slowly being whittled down to a very small percentage of people, very small. And you do not want to have to fight with other institutions and other nonprofits who aren't even art related for that same wealth pool. You need to pull from others. You need to be museums, arbiters of your own continuity. You cannot pull from the same pool of wealth that you have in the past. If you don't start now, generating wealth, preparing the young generation now, looking out for diversity as a 
benefit and a strength rather than an extra burden on your um on your strategic plan then you will not survive because that wealth is not going to be there forever and you are not the only industry that pulls from it and if you really care about that collection that museum that you say that you prize and hold dearly so much um but you only care about it while you're there, then you don't actually care about it. You know, if you're, right. if you're not concerned about what's going to happen after your tenure at your, your institution, your nonprofit, what have you, you don't actually care. You know, you're just, yeah, paying lip service to, you know, being inclusive when, you know, if you're not actively thinking about the future of your institution and inclusivity, diversity, you're just, just lying. And you're damaging the institution as well, because that just continues the very real assumption that art is only for rich people. Art is only for white people, and it is inaccessible to the rest of the population. And that's not, that is not what art is for, especially if you're an encyclopedic institution. How dare you? How dare you not diversify? So after all of that conversation we've we've got some some extra thoughts that we had in addition to the thoughts that we've already presented which were many uh which (laughs) were like no no more thoughts no no more thoughts please but oh we have more and you signed up for this when you started listening to this podcast also by the way if you haven't subscribed please subscribe please rate and review and also rate and review yeah uh it takes just a few minutes even if you just go on itunes and just like rate us as many stars as you would like preferably five then that that counts and we would really really super appreciate it so yeah there's that there's that pitch that thing uh okay so i don't know how many of you are aware but let me let me loop you in on a little thing here called aam which is the american association of museums aam is the ethical and moral center of museums in the United States. They dictate how museums should be run, how they should care for their collections, how they should make their money, among other things. They are a set of standards or guidelines for museums to abide by. And if you go against those standards, for example, a small museum in Vermont once sold some of their collection to pay to keep the lights on, you'll get kicked out of AAM. Doesn't look good. You got to be part of it <laughs> uh, for a myriad of, of reasons that are not important to this particular discussion, but suffice it to say, AAM is very important. So I was wondering if there are any ethical guidelines for museums when it comes to internships. Guess what? There's not. <sighs> yeah. So AAM does not have specific ethical guidelines when it comes to internship programs and how they should be run, paid for, how the application process should go, etc. However, if you go on AAM's website and you search for internship, there's a couple of things that come up, uh, mainly (laughs) that there seems to be a general consensus, or at least lip service to a general consensus in the museum community that interns should be paid. One specific article, or I suppose it's more of a blog post of an experience that I read through AAM's website was this story about how 
a paid internship creates pathways to careers in museums, which, duh. Like, I'm so angry now I've lost all permission <laughs> to Duh. duh. Uh, <laughs> this is very 90s of me. <laughs> so I'm going to be reading a lot of text from this article just to kind of give people a sense of how industry professionals in the museum field think about paying interns. So this article reads that museum and arts organizations bear a responsibility to eliminate barriers to employment by providing meaningful opportunities for students to learn about the museum field. However, most internships are unpaid, disqualifying those who aren't able to work for free. So this refers to people who uh, do not have family wealth to fall back on and would need to work a job. Mm -hmm. People who um, are working to pay their way through school and cannot afford to use their very limited and precious time during a week to spend on something that will not pay them even if it may open doors for them in the future. That's a tough choice to make. And it's a privilege if you don't have to make that choice. Absolutely. Um, which I, re- I, I recognize too, like, even though I was working very hard, that's not what privilege means in this, in this cultural example. Uh, I was, you know, a full-time student in my master's program. I was working a part-time job and I was also taking out loans to pay for my master's which I wouldn't need to pay back until after my master's was done. I was able to do all of those things, plus an unpaid internship, because I had a car. Because I came from a family that had some some wealth in it, that allowed me to not owe anything on my undergrad. Like, that is a privilege that I had. And I think that it's important to name that privilege so that the word privilege doesn't have a different connotation to it. I think oftentimes privilege is associated with like, you know, you're privileged if you don't have to work 80 hours a week to support yourself or, you know, that you have enough money to have a car. You are able to, you know, work a job part-time instead of full-time. You know, you don't have the same lingering financial burdens that you would if you didn't come from a family that had even a moderate means of wealth. So I think that's, it's important to get that definition of privilege circulating because it means a lot in the context of unpaid internships in the arts. Absolutely. So, and now that- we've said it before. I just want to say it again. Sarah and I are like middle-class white women and uh-huh. we like, uh-huh. I too have privilege. I too, you know, had a car throughout college and whatnot. And I, you know, was I was able to take out loans, you know, like I was able to qualify for them, which also, you know, shows a sense of shows a level of privilege just in that as well. So it's Mm -hmm. not just Sarah. I, you know, like I am also a privileged white person. (laughs) No, it's, it's just me. I'm the only privileged white lady who drives a Prius in this entire country. It's me. Okay, well, I, I don't have a Prius, but I would, I would. You don't have a Prius, that's true. I mean, I would, I would like a Prius, but I just, I don't know about snow and pre, pre-I, Priuses. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. 
Driving in snow has so much more to do with the driver than it does with the car. I have gotten stuck so many times though. And like, I, I feel as someone who started driving at the age of eight, that I've got a handle on it by now. But like having low cars, just ha- like being low to the ground, I think. Anyways, we don't, this isn't, this isn't the discussion that we're having on this, <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> we both come from very rural areas that get a lot of, a lot That doesn't, of that so doesn't get is, plowed um, we, often. It doesn't get plowed. It doesn't get plowed. <laughs> unless, unless like your dad digs out the skid steer. That is, it's not getting plowed. Oh, oh yeah, no. I mean, unless you happen to have lots of, uh, boy family relatives who own lots of trucks with plows on each Mm -hmm. of them like i do uh (laughs) and i had any anyone i could choose from anyone it's just done it's just anyway this is not about plowing in rural (laughs) that will be an episode for another time stay tuned everybody for that scintillating topic (laughs) 